The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. I'm R.J. Bell with Fred Fowler. You might be able to tell a little of my voice, guys, getting over the flu. And we've got the right guy, Fred Fowler. He literally writes books about horse racing. Also, one of the biggest names in sports radio in Houston. And we've done the Kentucky Derby. We've done the Preakness. And the whole time, Fred's been saying, I'm waiting for the Belmont to really take off the rubber band. And Fred, I think time's here. You're excited. I am excited because uh, one of the things about the Belmont is uh, I'm I'm the kind of player that if favorites are winning a lot, I'm not winning. It, it's that simple. Uh, favorites in thoroughbred racing win 33% of the time. I'm interested in the other 67%. And one thing about the Belmont, last 16 runnings, two favorites have won. So this is right up my alley. And part of it is because we have a horse like Justify who's going for the triple crown. He's going to get bet heavily. And I think he's extremely vulnerable here. And I think uh, because American Pharaoh won, I think people are saying, oh, well, this guy's got a chance. Certainly he has a chance, but more often than not, horses that win the first two fail in the Belmont. And if they're going to fail, that means you're going to get great value on other horses. And I think this is just the perfect opportunity for it. And I will use Justify in my bets because most of the Baffert horses, uh, Bob Baffert, the trainer, he's had several opportunities. And of course, he trained American Pharaoh. They tend to run well, but American Pharaoh is the only one that's won it. So uh, I, I feel like there's some money to be made here. There's some opportunities with some horses that uh, that that frankly are going to get under bet, and that's the situation I love. So uh, this is one of those where I may be wrong, but uh, I don't need to be right very often if I'm going against heavy favorites like Justify, and that's going to be the case on Saturday. And this is a micro concept when it comes to horses, but I think it applies in other spots too. Sometimes. The right side is the public side. And when that's the case, it's hard to get value. Imagine real estate. I like to use houses as an analogy. Imagine no, because you've got inside information on the Houston City Council. I'm not saying you do, but let's just say hypothetically, is this area is going to have a ton of development in three years. So it's like, wow, if I buy it now, remember Tony Soprano buying up property on Free Highland Avenue, that kind of deal. Okay. But just imagine if the most popular uh, quarterback in Houston, let's say Watson, happens to buy property in that same area with no knowledge of the city council's decision coming up. All of a sudden now, people who's going to want to live next to Watson. So There are different reasons people are living there, but you probably aren't going to get great value with your inside information if the public's biased to want to live by Watson as the whole house prices, the homes go up in price. To me, if we know the public's betting the favorite no matter what in the Triple Crown, if that horse ends up being the right horse, you can't really, even if you know it's the right horse, it's hard to get value. In this case, where if the public's going one way, but the value's the other, I think there's a special value because it's a triple crown, especially the, a, a triple crown race that a horse is going for the triple crown. I expect big, big money on Justify. 
What's your guess? Right now, I'm seeing just about even money on the sportsbook odds. What do you think the parimutuel, where do you guess it ends up on race day? Ordinarily, a horse that's going for the triple crown would get hammered down to, I think, as low as two to five, maybe even lower than that. But I do think because he looks so vulnerable in the Preakness that maybe people aren't going to jump on it as much. I don't sense the excitement about this guy the same way there was with American Pharaoh. And maybe it's because we just had a triple crown winner uh, three years ago that it, that people aren't going to jump on it as much. Having said that, I think three to five is probably the number it's, it's going to land on. And mainly because race day, you'll get a lot of people saying, oh, wow, justifies he's unbeaten. He's he's four to five. I'm going to throw a bunch of money on it. And I think you're going to get a lot of uh, you're going to get a lot of souvenir money, as I call it, where people buy two dollar tickets. And, and it may not sound like a lot, but they'll buy two dollar tickets to keep his souvenirs if he wins. Uh, win tickets. But if you think about that and say a hundred thousand people do that, now you've got a significant amount of money in the pool. That's essentially dead money. And so I think you're going to see a lot of that on Saturday. I think three to five is probably the number that he's going to wind up at. And that means we're going to get better odds on some of the horses that I think can beat him. And, and, uh, and that's of course where, where we're going to try to go. And when the old school guys use the three to five and all that, sometimes I get a little confused you would think I'd have it figured out by now is, so are you saying bet $3 to win five or bet $5 to win three? $5 to win three. Yeah. Five. So worse than even money then. Right. Obviously. Right. Okay. So if you do somehow like justify even money right now, you, you would bet is going to be better than you get in the paramutual. Yeah. I would say if you can get even money and you like the horse, then that's the way to go. And I mean, even money is all over the place right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that that's a good value um, bet if you like justify. There's no question because you will not get that price on him race day. Now, where did justify close in the Preakness? Because we were talking about what the pre paramutual price at the books were, and you thought it was going to really run. How, how where did it end up at the Preakness? He paid forty cents on the dollar in the Preakness, so uh, uh, not quite as low as I thought he was going to get, but still pretty darn low. And I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast bet him online and got much better prices than that uh, before the race. And and I know a few people tweeted me afterwards and said, hey, I got him at this at minus 200. And uh, so I think a lot of people were able to do that. So if you can do the same thing, I, I think he's got a chance to win. I, I you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if he won the race. And I think even money's fair. Uh, but 40 cents on the dollar is, is not worth it because I just I think it's going to be a lot to ask of him. And if you're listening with half an ear, you might be saying, wait a minute, Fred just said he's not going to be betting justified. That's the point. You don't bet horses. You don't bet teams. You bet numbers. You give me justify a plus 300. I'm guessing you're making a monster bet, right, Fred? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, right? It, it, and, we, we talk about yeah. this with football all the time. It's, it's the number. If the number is off, then, and I can get value elsewhere, then I'm going to go elsewhere you know, even if I even if I think a team is better than the other team, if I'm getting the number that's out of line, I'm taking the number that's out of line uh, more so than I am just saying, oh, well, I'm betting this team. So it's very similar to sports betting. In this case, uh, I'm going to play against because I'm going to get more value in horses that I think have a chance to beat him. And if he wins, he wins. But uh, if I keep if I do that consistently, I'm going to make money in the long haul because I'm going to be I don't need to be right 100 percent of the time. I only need to be right about 40% of the time, frankly, and I'm going to get paid off. Hashtag trust the process. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So I, I got to be honest with you. 
there are a couple reasons I love the Belmont. Love it. It's not even close. It's my favorite horse race. Here's why. One, especially when there's a triple crown potential. One, I love to be contrarian. And there's nothing that will get a casual sports or, or horse fan <clears throat> more interested than horse wins the Derby, wins the Preakness. Here we go. Who's going to win other than him? So I think not only is it quote unquote dumb money, but it's got a strong bias to that potential triple crown horse, which means value the other way. But even more importantly, the Belmont, and you've got some numbers that really show this. We're going to go over. The Belmont is a, a unique, and I people misuse unique all the time. Unique means one of a kind. The Belmont is a unique race, and certain horses excel in this unique race. And the combination of not necessarily horses, especially suited for this length of a race, this long of a race, combined with the fatigue factor, man, it's like everyone wants to bet the favorite, and the favorite has more hindrances than in any spot you can imagine. I want to bet against the Pats in the NFL oftentimes, but oftentimes the Pats are the right side. So you're back to that real estate analogy. It's so hard to race the Derby, race the Preakness, and then be the right horse in the Belmont. And history tells us that. So maybe let's start with how unusual it is for a Triple Crown. We know it's only happened once in a long time, but what's shocking, Fred, is how often these good horses have won the first two legs. Yeah, and and we'll go back to Affirmed in 1978 because he was the last Triple Crown winner before American Pharaoh. Since that time, 1978, 14 horses have come to the Belmont with a chance to win the Triple Crown. American Pharaoh was the only one to do it. So 13 out of 14, if you play against Justify here, you're going to be right. Because uh, unless the horse is just spectacular or it's a weak field, uh, it's so hard to do it. And I think there's so many reasons to think. I, I just don't think he's American Pharaoh who was truly a special horse. This is a very good horse, but he, he's not American Pharaoh. And I think now if we're, if we're going to go with that logic, then those other 13 are the ones we need to be focusing on. And I, and that's why I think it, you almost have to play against him here because uh, it, it's just you're asking it to happen twice in a row when it's happened once in 14 tries. Just from a statistical perspective, it's almost impossible. Now, we were not high. And when I say we, I'm being nice. You and me following you. <laughs> we're not high on Justify entering the Derby. And the stat a lot of people have heard to uh, horses that don't race during their two-year-old season really were, what, 0-61, if I'm remembering, uh, in the Derby. Yeah. Justify one, the conversation started, hey, maybe this, if this horse could overcome that, maybe this is a super horse. And we, were, we weren't, you know, you weren't all that anxious to bet against him in the Preakness. Some of it was competition, but would this run that has, has you downgrading this horse. Well, and I, I, I didn't think there was any way he could lose the Preakness unless he regressed, and he did regress. Because if you look at the buyer speed figures, which is what I, I use as a tool, he ran a 97 in the Preakness, which is the lowest of his career. 
He had a 103 in the Derby. He had a 107 the race before that, 101, 104. He'd never been under 100. And so he dropped to a 97, and he still won the race. That tells you the quality of field he was up against. It wasn't very good. Uh, 97's a very low number to win a major stakes race. And even having said that, though, the only other horse in this field that has beat a 97 was Vino Rosso, who ran a 98 when he won the Wood Memorial. So he's still faster than everybody else. But I also think if you go back and watch that race, it took a lot out of him. And Good Magic, who was probably the second best horse in the field, he wound up running fourth. They decided that, hey, you know what? We're going to just take the race to him right at the beginning. We're going to make him work. We're going to try to get in front of him. And if he's good enough to beat us, great. And what happened was that turned into a speed duel. And it really weakened Justify. He had to work the entire race. And uh, the tactic didn't work for good magic because he faded to run fourth. And if he hadn't done that, if he just kind of sat back, he'd probably run second. But I kind of admire what they did. They said, hey, we're going to take the race to him. And I think that also that, that was very draining for Justify. And to come back three weeks later to try to go a mile and a half, uh, even though this isn't the strongest field in the world, I just think it took too much out of him. And I could be wrong about that, but I, I don't think I am. I think he's going to have a, a hard time. Uh, especially with with the mile and a half, especially with the surface at Belmont, it's a sand based track. It can be very tiring, and you know this horse has now raced five times since February. Uh, I just think there's a lot of reasons why you want to look a different direction. Okay, so three weeks create some context. Horses during their three year old season, and that's what we're in here with these horses. How at the highest level, right? Not the glue factory horses, but thoroughbreds at the highest level, what is the typical rest period? Uh, minimum minimum three weeks, but usually once a month is is as much as you want to run them. Because it, now, the, now a lot of times with the Triple Crown, those schedules get pushed up because trainers are trying really hard to get their horses ready for the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness and the Belmont. So sometimes, and that's what happened with Justify, he didn't make his first start until February 18th this year. And he started basically a month later, uh, once a month, and then all of a sudden, three weeks later, Churchill, two weeks later, Pimlico, now three weeks later. So his races that were so impressive were a month out, the February 18th, March 18th, April 18th, and then May 18th for the Derby. So, I mean, it all, it, it all was spaced out the way that it should have been. And now you've come back in two weeks for the Preakness, and now you've got to come back in three weeks for the Belmont. So now he's off schedule, and you know we'll see how he responds to that. But most of them, yeah, you're going to want to run them once a month and and – in general, that's the, the best path for a really good horse. So once a month is typical, and this will be the third run in five weeks. Yeah, and that's that's what makes it so hard. And and for years, they talked about, should we change it? Should we you know space the races out more? But I think that's part of what makes the Triple Crown kind of magical. And when it happens, uh, you know, you really earn it. And so if he wins this race on Saturday, he's going to have earned it and and you know it's it's just not an easy thing to do, nor should it be. I mean, if you're you're gonna you're gonna be a great racehorse, then you should be able to overcome all that and win those three races. Now you've got some stats. Not only do we know that horses going for the Triple Crown haven't been uh, successful very often, like you said once since affirmed, but also that the horses who do win the Belmont are often a vast majority of the time quite rested so share that info well yeah and a lot of times it's horses that ran in the derby that were good horses that didn't run well in the derby for whatever reason and we'll get to a horse i like that did exactly that and they skipped the preakness and they're better rested for the belmont they've been tested because they ran in the toughest race uh, of the year in the derby 
but they skip the Preakness, they, and they come into the, the Belmont in great form and ready to go. Only one of the last nine Belmont winners actually ran in the Preakness, and that was American Pharaoh. And so that, that tells you how difficult it is to even come back in three weeks. But 18 of the last 24 raced in one of the two, and most of the time it was the Derby. Because 12 of the last 18 had at least four weeks off. That means they either ran in the Derby or the Peter Pan Stakes at Belmont a month later. So that kind of tells you how difficult it is to go all three of them. And you've got a couple horses that ran in the Derby that didn't have their best race that are coming back and should be in good form. And I think that's that's where, you know, that's what also makes it hard is you know, these horses are rested. They didn't have to run their hearts out in the Preakness like Justify did. And you're going to see, you know, you're going to see a fresh horse. It's what happened to Smarty Jones. It's how he got beat by Birdstone. Uh, Birdstone ran in the Derby, didn't run very well, took that time off, came back and and caught him on the wire in the Belmont. And and I think you're going to see a similar sort of scenario play out on Saturday. To say, okay, uh, horses that win the first two legs don't win the third. That's saying one thing, but saying horses that win the third rarely race the Preakness. And if they do, they rarely, rarely race the Derby, even, you know, cause in theory it wasn't there. I know this is famous, but I'm not a great horse racing guy. There was a horse that got second in all three against affirmed, right? Yeah. Aladar. Right. Yeah. Aladar. Yeah. That, that, so, in, you know, in theory, Aladar had the same negatives going in the Belmont, but in this, these cases, um, either the, the, the jockeys of, or the trainers have gotten smart enough or it's, Hey, this isn't a great, cause in theory, right? If there wasn't an affirmed, Aladar would have won the Triple Crown, which is kind of wild to think, you know, almost like uh, the Utah Jazz against Michael or whatever, right? If just, or uh, Mickelson against Tiger, is just if one guy was out, how much different would the narrative be? But it, it's just, it seems so clear. If you're not rested, you better be a super horse. And it doesn't matter if you won the first two or not. Yeah, you've you've got to be truly special. And I'll, I'll give you another one. 1989, Sunday Silence and Easy Goer. Sunday Silence won the first two. Easy Goer was second. Then Easy Goer won the Belmont, and Sunday Silence was second. If either of those horses comes along any other year without the other one, they both win the Triple Crown. So, I mean, so much of it is is a little bit of luck. But in this case, I, I think Justify is a really good horse. But I think we're asking him to be a historic horse. And I don't know that he's that. And... You know, that, that's why horses that race in the Derby are always so tough in this race because they get a lot out of the Derby. They get very fit. They get just enough rest time. It's almost a perfect time. And they're facing horses that have had to run really hard twice to, to win the Derby and the Preakness. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see so many horses that, that sat out the Preakness do very, very well in the Belmont. Okay, so we're going to talk some specific horses in this year's Belmont. First, though, is there any other... Closing thoughts. You mentioned the type of surface. Anything else macro, big picture about the Belmont that handicappers should be considering uh, and waiting heavily in the Belmont? Well, I would I would throw out a couple things. First off, uh, the one thing about Justify, and if, if you're one of those people who's seen that even money and you want to jump on that, I'll give you a, I'll give you a reason to play him. The last five horses to win the Triple Crown all won the race in front running fashion. Basically, broke on the lead and led the whole way. And that's how Justify is going to have to run. He's going to break, he's going to get the lead, and he's going to be there as long as he can hold it. So that it, it seems counterintuitive that front runners do so well at long distances, but the reality is uh, most of the time horses that get on the lead 
are able to set a slow pace. And so it, it, the last part of the race is where they run and sometimes horses can't catch up. So that's one thing to consider. Uh, and I, I would also point out that we have a couple of horses here that we talked about the two-year-old thing with justify and how he changed that at the Kentucky Derby, but only one Belmont winner in the last 30 years did not race as a two-year-old. And that includes justify and tenfold who's also in this field. So those are things to look at. And I think, you know, I justify if he's going to win, it's going to be wire to wire and it's going to be because he gets no other pressure from anyone. And even in that scenario, though, I think you're going to see a tired horse in the stretch and it's just a matter of, of who runs by him. Now I've seen at different points uh, that prop up. Will this horse win wire to wire? Do you think if you do like justify, that's the better way to bat him if you can find it. Absolutely, yeah. If you can find that prop and you like the horse, and you're probably getting a better price on that than you would. Uh, on, well, you on, certainly would be right. Yeah, certainly. In theory, and the, but, it's a but, greater than zero chance. There's another way to win. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think he can win any other way, and, and I don't think there's any other horse in here fast enough to beat him to the lead unless unless they just decide, hey, we're going on a suicide mission like Good Magic did. And I, I just think that that's a good bet if you can find it if if you like justify. And I'm not going to talk you off the horse if you like him. I'm just going to do what I usually do, which is, you know, historically, he's a bad play. And he, he may overcome that just like he did in the Derby. But I'm going to take my chances on the 13 out of 14. Okay, so let's get specific. Now, listen, we're not going to hold back. Fred's going to share the horses he likes, the ones he doesn't. But he does sell his very exact card of a pregame. And what I'm doing for the Belmont is I am betting exactly to the dollar what Fred suggests. And what I'll do is I'll be tweeting those tickets out uh, or post them in the forums. Probably if it loses tweeting, if it wins, wink, wink, (laughs) but either way, I'm going to post it. We don't want to put too much attention if we lose somehow, (laughs) but we do. We are fully transparent uh, as always. So I'll post in the forums either way after the race is over his exact card. So yeah, if you want to bet two or you know four bucks, eight bucks, info you're going to get here is going to be really strong from Fred. We choose Fred for a reason; he's great at this. But if you're looking to play with Fred with me, then you'll be able to play exactly what we play. And to me, knowing a horse to fade and a horse you like only gets you about halfway there because you do the superfecta, do you do the try, do you do the perfecta? Whatever it is, Fred's a master at finding the value in those parimutuel pools. And I'll have a coupon for anyone at $10 off if they do want to follow Fred and me. So let's go through the horses. We'll talk a little bit of, um, or we'll give the coupon after that. And then I'm going to talk a little bit of LeBron and the Rockets, Fred being, as I said, uh, ESPN's afternoon drive guy with his partner, AJ, in Houston right now. As of Thursday afternoon here in Vegas, the Rockets are the clear favorite to land LeBron. We'll get Fred's take. And by the way, he's very contrarian and, and kind of cranky oftentimes based on his blood sugar. So we, we'll probably get an interesting take. All right. Let's go down the horse. All right. Be- before we do that, though, I want to point out that uh, what what I've got available on, on pregame is I've got some win bets on a horse. I've got daily doubles, a pick three, and exactas, and I'm giving away trifectas for free. Those will be on the forums. So if you want to play the trifectas, uh, those are free. They'll be on, I'll have them on the forums. They're on sportsmap.com. 
And uh, if you want to check out my audio book on horse racing to get a little more information on how I came up with these plays, it's called Acing Racing 2016. So just search it on Google, and it's twelve ninety nine. It's about an hour listen, and you'll learn everything you need to learn. See, guys, you can tell he's a professional. He doesn't trust me to plug him enough. <laughs> He'll just slide in with his own plugs. I'm going to learn that on, on your show, Fred. Well, I, just a want, bit of that. I just wanted to let the people know where they could get all the picks. So there you go. <laughs> you're, you're doing it as a service. Exactly. Exactly. As a, as a courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love the people. <laughs> you're a man of the people. All right. So let's go down some horses. All right. Uh, we could either go through the whole field or I can just tell you who I like to beat him and why. However you want to do it. I'm, I'm prepared for either well, why, one. Why don't we do this? Why don't we give one sentence on each of the horses? And if you if it's one you like especially or don't like especially, give us a little bit more. Okay. So we'll, we've talked about Justify, so I don't think there's too much left to be said about him other than you know he, he should be out front. And he's going to have to set kind of a moderate to slow pace. And if he can do that, I think he's got a shot. But uh, I also I have to play against him here. It's just a, it's just a moral imperative. Uh, the two horses, Free Drop Billy, who ran in the Derby, he was 16th in that race. Didn't really have any trouble. And before that, was fourth in the Bluegrass. He's never as a two year old. He was really good, but he seems to have tailed off. And I, I he's not for me. I just don't think he's got much of a shot here. Uh, the three horses, Bravazo, who you might remember from the Preakness, uh, ran a good second to justify. And if you watch the race, it looked like he was really closing at the end. Uh, he really wasn't. He's kind of a grinder. He was sixth in the Derby. He's second in the Preakness. He is just made for a mile and a half. And I think he's going to grind his way here. He's eight to one. He's one of the horses I give a shot, even though he's running both races. Part of it is because his trainer is Dwayne Lucas, and he runs his horses a lot. He is old school. He's a, a guy who runs them like they did in the 70s and 80s, and he runs them into shape, and I think he's going to run a big race today. The four horses, Hofberg, who I love. This is my pick. I think this horse has a huge, huge chance. He's only had four career races. He was seventh in the Derby, but had to steady twice. So really should have been, it could have been as high as third, I think, uh, and, and just had all kinds of trouble in that race. He's been off since. Before that, he was second in the Florida Derby, and that was his first try against stakes horses uh, behind a horse called Audible, who I think would be very dangerous in here. His trainer's Bill Mott, who just doesn't put horses in races where they don't belong. And in fact, I think for him to put him in the Derby, he knew this was a pretty special horse. And here's one other factor that I love is his breeding. He's out of Tappet, and Tappet as a sire has sired three of the last four Belmont winners. So he's bred to, for the distance. And on the dam side, it's a touch gold mare, and I don't want to get too much into breeding, but touch gold also won the Belmont Stakes. So this horse is bred to go a mile and a half. He's bound to improve in this spot. His trainer knows what he's doing. He ran a better-than-it-looks Kentucky Derby. Uh, second favorite right now. I think we're going to get five or six to one, and, and this is my pick. I absolutely love the setup for this horse in this race, and I'll be surprised if he doesn't run well. Uh, the five-horse Restoring Hope is another Bob Baffert horse. I have no idea what he's doing in this race. Uh, he ran kind of a non-threatening third in the wood, and then he ran on Derby Day in the Pat Day Mile and finished 12th out of 14. So I'm not really sure. I mean, he's, he does have the breeding to go this far, but I, I just don't see much to like about this guy. Uh, the six horses is growing. So, so Fred, yeah. when, it com when it comes to the business of breeding and horses, it would seem to me when it comes time for this horse, you said, why is he here to um, breed? To say, hey, a 2018 
uh, Belmont participant, even you know, even whatever the lingo is, even if they if the horse gets last, doesn't that make that horse uh, more valuable than if if they never race in a triple crown race? Well, certainly if they finish in the top three, it makes them more valuable. Um, finishing fourth or but just, fifth, but just being good, and, but just being good enough to race in the. Tri- I mean, to me, if if I was at a horse farm and someone said, you know, oh look at that horse, it's like okay, yeah, yeah, he was uh, actually racing uh, the Belmont back in two thousand eight, let's say ten years ago. I'd be like, oh, okay. I mean, I, I know I'm a novice, but I think this is a guy. It's like a tennis player. Did he play in the French Open? Right. It doesn't matter that they want or obviously be better if they win or get to the quarters. But just the fact you could play, you know, I have a friend uh, who her dad made the Olympic team in 72. And it's like, you know, didn't win anything. But the fact that her dad made the Olympic team impressed me that there's none of that. Uh uh, only, only in a very small amount. There's other races you can win that will give you more value. If you go out and win, uh, and and basically races like this is a a grade one race. That's the the top level. There's grade two and grade three as well. Going out and winning a couple of of grade one or grade twos or grade threes is better than finishing last in the Belmont in terms of breeding. Uh, it doesn't hurt. Okay, it doesn't hurt. But if you if you run well in the race, it certainly helps. So if you're top three, even top four. Uh, then that'll help the value somewhat. So it's almost like a free roll. There, obviously, there's an entry fee. Um, how many Grade One races are there in a calendar year? Uh, there's usually a couple a weekend uh, around the country. Sometimes more than that. Uh, some tracks have festivals. Like there's a couple of other Grade Ones on the Belmont card on this day. Uh, but in general, I would say probably on average, and I don't know the exact number, but it's probably two to three a week on average. So over a hundred a year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Continue please. All right. So the, uh, the next source that we're going to talk about is Gronkowski, who of course is named for a certain tight end of the new England Patriots. All his races have been over in England on uh, what we call an all weather surface, a synthetic surface. And he's won four of his six starts. He was, they were pointing him for the Derby. Uh, his trainer now is Chad Brown, who is fantastic, but uh, I think it's a lot to ask of this guy, especially since he got hurt and wasn't able to run in the Derby. Uh, I think he'll take a lot of money because of his name, but uh, I'll, I'll be surprised if he has much of an impact. I think it's it's just a lot to ask, and I don't know that he's bred to get a mile and a half on dirt either. Uh, the seven horses tenfold, who you might remember, ran a good third in the Preakness. And um, yeah, the thing about him is, again, lightly raced, much like Justified, didn't start until February 18th, the same day Justified started. And he, he ran his best race in the Preakness. He's a, a Curlin uh, out of Curlin, who also is, is a very good distance sire. So I think he'll get this far. I'm just not sure he's fast enough. He has room to improve. But if you watch the end of the Preakness, he looked like he was going to run by Justify. And then he just kind of hung there and, and Bravazo went by him and he was never getting by Justify. So uh, I, I think he'll run a good race and I think he's worth using. But uh, I also I don't know that he'll be in the winner's circle at the end. Another horse that comes out of the Kentucky Derby. This is another one I give a big shot to upset Justify is Vino Rosso, who is the eight horse. He uh, won the Wood Memorial impressively. Uh, didn't have the you know really any excuse in the Derby. He was wide, but he finished ninth. And he, so and when you say he finished ninth, he still beat eleven horses. So uh, not a bad effort, but not a great effort either. But again, has been off for a month. Another Curlin. 
Uh, Todd Pletcher, who's very good in this race and has won races, uh, won this race with horses like this before. He's eight to one. I think he'll be 10, maybe 12 by the time the gates open. And I think he's got a real shot. Um, number nine is another Pletcher horse, Noble Indy. Uh, I think he, he will probably be a pace factor early. I don't think that he, uh, he's going to want to go the whole distance here. And another one that came out of the Derby, he was 17th in the Derby and never really a threat. So, uh, he would have to improve immensely. I think he will, but I think it's more of a, a horse that's going to hang around early uh, and then fade late. And then the 10 horses blended citizen who won the Peter Pan at Belmont. So he's got a win over Belmont, but I also think he's uh, not really bred to go this far. He's got the sprinter breeding uh, on his damn side and his, his sire uh, just doesn't impress me that much as a horse that's going to pass on distance. So I'd be surprised if he were much of a factor. So just to kind of recap, I, I love Hofberg. Uh, I think he's got a huge shot. I like Bravazo and I like Vino Rosso as the three horses most likely to upset justify. And uh, I, I will be using all of them in some form, but Hofberg is my key horse and, and my play for the race. Is there any post position consideration? Not really. It is a short run to the first turn. And I, I would say that having the rail with a speed horse might not be the biggest advantage there, but I think justify is just faster than everybody early on in the race. So I don't think you're going to see much of an issue there. It might be a bit of a problem for the outside horses uh, because it is such a quick run to that first turn. But uh, for the most part, I think the the way the race sets up, I don't anticipate it being much of an issue. Is with Gronkowski, it seems like a lot of people don't bet the favorite or want to have like a perfecta. It'd be justifying Gronkowski. Do you think just the name would actually increase significantly the amount of dumb money in this race? Oh, absolutely. I think it would. I was hoping he would run in the Derby because I thought people would, would jump on him there. And I think the same thing will happen here. In fact, I, I'll be surprised if he doesn't go off lower than his 12 to one morning line. I, I, I would, I think people will love, I mean, that's casual fans love to do that. It's like, Oh, it's, it's Gronkowski and Rob Gronkowski owns part of him. And I love to watch Gronk party and go on, uh, uh, go on boats and do all kinds of goofy stuff. So yeah, I'm going to throw $10 on Gronkowski. Uh, I think I think you'll see people do that. It, it's there'll be a lot of money on, on these big race days that people will follow certain things, and in this case, I guarantee you there'll be a bunch of money bet on him just because of his name. I agree, boy. It's all setting up, Fred. Let's do it. Here's the coupon, guys. Big Belmont, all one word. B I G B E L M O N T. Big Belmont, all caps, all one word. Ten bucks off. So I think that's over 30%. What are we doing? 29, Fred, for yours? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, so there you go, guys. I'll be betting the exact thing. Fred is in control. He's been waiting for this. I'm betting exactly what Fred says. And by the way, with the tries and everything, make sure you throw those, even though you're giving them away, into your main, so, so people who buy can just go to one place and get everything. That makes sense, Fred? Yeah, I actually sent those over last night, but I'll update them and, and send them send them back. Yeah, yeah, do it. Send it to Tom. Okay, now, as we said, Big Belmont, and there's a ton of free stuff, pregame.com forums, and also Fred will be tweeting out other links. It's at Fred Fowler, F-E-D-F-A-O-U-R, at Fred Fowler. Okay, let's talk a little LeBron. So, first question, what was the aftermath in Houston of that series against the Rockets or Rockets versus Golden State. Was it, oh, wow, if only CP3 wasn't hurt? 
or was it, hey, how do you expect CP3 to stay healthy? He never does. We got to make a major change. What is the feeling right now amongst the fans? Well, I think the whole, if CP3 had stayed healthy, I think they feel like they would have won the series. And and I, it's hard to dispute that because I think the, the Game 7 loss, I think they were going to lose Game 6 anyway, but the Game 7 loss where, to me, they still could have won that game if they'd just stopped shooting three-pointers and gone to the basket. When you go 0 for 27 uh, in a stretch on three-pointers, and that's where CP3 would have made a difference. He would have taken the ball and you know, basically either taken it to the basket or done one of his pull-up jumpers and, and, and sort of stopped the bleeding on an 0 for 27 run. So I, I think that was kind of the, uh, that was sort of the mindset. But then also people realize, okay, he's going to be a year older next year. He's never really healthy. Uh, you got to bring him back. And I think they will. And from everything I understand, there's already uh, a deal under the table to, to bring him back. So the key now is you've got to get some more pieces. You've got to get one more piece in case this happens again. You can't have Trevor Ariza out there going 0 for 12. Uh, they they need another piece, and obviously LeBron is the biggest piece out there. He and Chris Paul are real good friends. Uh, I know that the Rockets are going to go after him. Now I don't know if they'll get him, but if you have an opportunity to get LeBron James, you go get LeBron James. Now there's some things they're going to have to do salary cap wise, and and one of them is they'll have to get rid of Ryan Anderson's contract somehow. They'll have to get rid of Trevor Ariza. They probably have to trade Eric Gordon. But I also think a lot of guys would want to play with that team, so they'd be able to get some some decent veterans at a small price. So right now, and this is Thursday in Vegas, Rockets plus 140, and this is at betonline.ag. Rockets plus 140, Sixers, Cavs, and Lakers plus 350. No one else better than 12 to 1. So you guys are in the lead. Now, as a fan, how excited would you be to get LeBron? Would there be any ambivalence? No, no. You're talking about the best player in basketball, and and how much fun would it be to see – the Warriors and the Rockets, when now the, War- the the Warriors have their three, possibly four future Hall of Famers, and now the Rockets throw three of them out there. Uh, that would be, it. I mean, there'd be no trepidation whatsoever. If you had the opportunity to get the guy and and to watch him play and, and to be part of this this team, absolutely, man, that would, that would be awesome. I'd love to see it. I still, I remain skeptical that it's going to happen because there are a lot of things that they'll have to do roster-wise. And, and I don't know if you, I, I don't know, what you can give somebody to take Ryan Anderson's contract. But if they can pull it off, uh, I think it would be awesome. And, and how much fun would it be in the Western Conference Finals next year if it's the Rockets with those guys and the Warriors with their guys? Well, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, though, if you had, so how long would this CP3 contract have to be? Uh, I think he's looking for, uh, I think you're basically going to have to give him a five year deal, uh, which means he's going to be pretty old when oh it's over. Gosh. But I, I mean, I, you go all in here, don't you? I mean, that's that's what you have to do. You're this close, and if you can bring in LeBron, and, uh, and if it means giving him a fi- giving Paul a five year deal, you do it because this is your window, and there's not going to be much of a window once those guys are gone. So I, I think uh, uh, you do what you have to do here. You go all in, and you try to win it next year or the year after, and and because I think that's your window. You've got two years with Chris Paul still playing at a high level. If you have to pay him for more, so be it. That's that's the cost of doing business. Yeah, see, it feels like LeBron would make some move. And I, I'm not a salary cap expert, but one year with an opt-out, two years, second year opt-out. And the theory is Houston probably has the best chance with, you know, let's just say LeBron goes to any existing team. I would put Houston, set, other than Golden State, 
I would put Houston second on the list. Uh, I'll tell you the first in a minute because I actually think there's a sneaky long shot here. But <clears throat> I think LeBron in Houston has a better chance to win than, let's say, LeBron in Philadelphia. So, but I think in three years, and listen, LeBron, by, by hook or crook, and Stephen A has been talking, you know, very explicitly about, you know, the potential of, uh, you know, PEDs and all that, you know, like how's he stronger today than he was three years ago? It's interesting questions, right? But forgetting that for a minute, LeBron's stronger today than he was three or four years ago. Thus, how do we think he's only got two or three years left? I mean, this guy could play till he's 40 at a, you know, obviously at a diminished level, but it could be like six or seven more years. So maybe that helps Houston go to Houston for two years would be the plan. Let's say opt out, go to LA for the last five or, or whatever the math is. Um, I, to me, that helps if, if we knew LeBron was going to retire in three years, I think he'd want to go to LA at some point. So I think it's interesting. Here's my sneaky team, the Boston Celtics. Now think about this is Kyrie's knee is a big question mark. Obviously Kyrie made LeBron look bad to whatever degree it was, you know, people's laying blame. Some are blaming Kyrie, some are LeBron, but obviously there's contention there. Imagine if he's able to big foot Kyrie by forcing Danny Ainge to trade Kyrie. And now it's a swap out LeBron for Kyrie and Kyrie's like on the Suns or something, which he has no control. It's the last year of his contract. I think that team, even if you minus Kyrie, is better than Houston if they had LeBron. Thoughts? Uh, I, I think it would be pretty close because, uh, and that was a damn good team this year that just without Kyrie. And uh, I, that's an interesting thought because I still, in, in my in my heart of hearts, I still think he's going to stay in the Eastern Conference because he realizes that's his easiest path to get back to the finals. But uh, I hadn't really thought of the Celtics, but that would make a lot of sense. I think... Uh, Depending on the on the moves they had to make now, because they've got some good depth there, they've got some guys who are under team friendly contracts still, so it would make sense. And I, you know, I'd have to look at the cap and see exactly what they'd have to do because well, Kyrie's pretty much maxed out. Yeah, right. So yeah. I mean, it, it, if you traded Kyrie, it's a it, it, you know about a one to one. It would seem. Yeah, I think so, but I'd have to study that a little closer because you know there's all these other factors that go into it, but. Uh, um, yeah, I think, uh, I, 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 that makes a lot of sense. I would love to see him here with Houston, but it, it's interesting to me that whatever team he goes to instantly becomes, I, I get the, I bet their odds get cut in half from where they are to win the title. Oh, next more. Year. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the question. If you take the best player off of every team, so let's say take Harden off of Houston, take Durant off of Golden State and et cetera. And obviously LeBron off of Cleveland, I make the case that Cleveland's one of the five worst teams in the league in that hypothetical. So, yeah, apparently he can bring any team right now to the finals, at least out of the East. Because if he just jumped on Atlanta, they're probably better than than this Cavs team is without him. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. So, all right. Um, by the way, I'll be tweeting those odds out as they update at RJ in Vegas and Fred, a lot of free content. We appreciate it. And up next guys is Dave Esler 
We moved the day this week to be with Fred. Overrated baseball, underrated baseball, and a free pick. My overrated team is the New York Mets. And I thought a lot about this this week, looking at the teams, is is how teams become overrated. And one of the things that it struck me is, you know, how do you quantify how long these teams ride their expectations, if you will? You know, the Mets, a lot of people have World Series futures on the Mets, and they're sitting five games under 500, and probably they finish fourth place in the NL East. So, you know, how do they become overrated? Well, they just were favored in four games at home uh, and lost them all. So people are still wanting to bet the Mets because they're the Mets, they're from New York, and people still think they might win the World Series. And, and they just lost six straight all at home. They scored zero runs or one run in four of those six games. And this really shocked me. As a team last week, they hit 139. They've got one player batting over 300, Juan Lagares. Well, he's out for the season. You know, how good can a team be that picks up Jose Batista, who couldn't stick with the Braves? Syndergaard's back on the DL. DeGrom throws a ton of pitches. He doesn't, you know, he's had eight no decisions this year. No bullpen. You look at their bullpen, last seven games, an area of six. And this really surprised me. They have 17 saves. The bullpen has 11 blown saves. And one thing I really don't like, and we've talked about this before, is uh, teams' records in one-run games because depending on where you look, about 28% of MLB games are, are one-run games. And the Mets, as, as you figure, if they can't score and they don't have a bullpen, they're 7-13 and 13 in one-run games. And, of course, their, their, their DL list looks like a mass unit. Ramos, Flores, Ligari, Cespedes. So... Yeah, their, their record isn't good, but I think perception-wise, people still want to bet on the Mets, and, and I think that's a bad thing to do. They go into uh, a series against the Yankees, and then they go on the road to Atlanta and the West Coast. So I think things are bad and going to get worse for the Mets, so overrated the New York Mets. And in a few minutes, we're going to have a Friday free pick that involves that Yankees-Mets game. I agree with you, Dave, 100%. When the narrative is in conflict with the data. People tend to be skeptical of the data. When the data is aligned with the narrative, then it's like, oh yeah, CCC. So with a team like the Mets that had higher expectations coming in, when good things do happen, the sense is, oh yeah, see? And when bad things happen, it's yeah, but. And that's pretty much the case all the time. And I think when a team in the NFL, especially is underperforming and then finally has that one good game, boy, everyone gets back pretty much to where they were before all those bad performances, even though it might be five games negative and one game positive. Speaking of underrated teams, potentially next up, you've got your underrated team of the week. Yeah, this week, uh, I like the Tigers, and you can kind of flip that narrative, if you will. You know, the Tigers uh, traded away everybody, and, and, you know, they kind of threw out a triple-A lineup uh, for a pretty good while this year, and they just didn't look good. And the narrative is, well, the Tigers are horrible. Well, they might not be a team to reckon with in the postseason, but they're not horrible. Uh, And at home, 
they're a team you want to bet on. They're they're twenty and fourteen at home, and you know a lot of really good teams can't say that. Whereas they're nine and twenty on the road, so you want to take the Tigers at home, uh, and they they finish up. Uh, a series in Boston Thursday night, and then they fly home to play Cleveland and Minnesota. Uh, and Cleveland's bullpen is terrible. Minnesota's terrible on the road. And I, I think that most likely the Tigers are going to be underdogs in the majority of those games. And you know, I just don't see it. Fires is on the uptick. Uh, he beat the Yankees, and then he beat the Angels. Uh, he beat Otani. Uh, Boyd is coming around, and people – People don't remember him. He was really young. He was traded for David Price. The kid's got a 1.08 whip this season. I mean, that's like Kershaw-like. Uh, and he's 5-1 and one at home. Blake Hardy is 3-0 and oh at home. Uh, I'm sort of following up on that. I like the Tigers at home. You know, Liriano will be back. And, of course, Cabrera's back. And, and people see, okay, well, Cabrera's back. They're going to score a bunch of runs. Maybe, maybe not. But what he does in the lineup is make it that much easier for everybody else to hit. He might not be what he was, but he's still somebody they got to pitch around. And last week they scored the eighth most runs in baseball, which isn't a lot. But what really surprised me is they did that with only hitting three home runs, which means they're hitting with runs in scoring position. So I looked a little further, and, and that's not just a last week trend. That's almost a season-long trend. They're averaging 1.6 more runs a game at home. Their bullpen, which you know people were all over it, I was too. In the last seven games, they they got an ERA of two point seven four, and many of those seven games were against the Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, so the point is, it's it's not the same bullpen. So I just love the Tigers this week in this situation, much like I don't like the Mets this week in this situation. So I think the Tigers are underrated. I'm I'm a little skeptical of them Friday night. It's Michael Fulmer against Bauer. I think Bauer is going to regress, but. Uh, Cleveland has kind of had their way with Fulmer, so we might start sort of Saturday uh, betting on the Tigers. So I think the Tigers will be my underrated team this week. When you do have an underrated or overrated team, it's not saying play that team or play against that team blindly. It's saying, hey, if I had to play blindly, here's where I would be leaning. But we don't. We look at each given situation and we come in, though, with the knowledge you're looking to play on the Tigers, looking to play against the Mets. This is a Friday, Friday free pick in baseball from Dave Esler. Yeah, Friday night, I think I want to play against my overrated New York Mets team, the, the Subway Series, Yankees and Mets. Right now, I think you can get the Yankees at minus 115. Uh, and it's, it's DeGrom and Tanaka. And, you know, most people, oh, it's DeGrom, you know, and that's another one of those things. Well, how can you bet against DeGrom? Well, for me, it's fairly easy. He threw 115 and 116 pitches in his last two starts. And, and that's a lot of pitches for anybody. And I look back three years and he's never thrown. I think he threw 117 once, 116 once, but not even come close to that many pitches. And I get it. You know, they, they wanted to pitch. He's pitching really well. Uh, and they certainly want to keep the Mets bullpen out of the equation as long as they can. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, Tanaka has really had his way with the Mets over the years. And this little known thing, and here's your fantasy guy for tomorrow night, Mike Stanton uh, with the Yankees, if you remember, he was with the Fish. So he's seen DeGrom quite a bit, uh, nine for 22 with four home runs. So there's my, my fantasy uh, sort of add-on. Uh, Tanaka's whip is 1.14, and the Yankees are 9-2 and two in his starts. Uh, the only Mets that had more than one hit against him, Jose Reyes, who they're talking about 
letting go, and, and Cespedes is on the DL. The Yankees' bullpen is finally coming around. They got a, a whip of one, an ERA of one, excuse me, the last seven games. Uh, and they're both rested. You're going to play on Thursday. So I guess which rested bullpen do you want, uh, the Yankees or the Mets? I think we want the Yankees. And something I alluded to, when I talked about the Mets in one-run games being 7-13, and 13, you can flip that. The Yankees are 10-3. and three. So when I look at that game, I think the only way the Mets can win that game is if basically DeGrom throws a nine-inning shutout, which I don't see happening. Now, the Yankees have a million ways to win it. Tanaka's done well against the Mets. I think the, the Yankees are going to score off the Mets, and the Yankees have a clear bullpen advantage. And that's enough for me at – at minus 115 for probably one of the most dangerous lineups in baseball. So I'm going to take the Yankees over the Mets on Friday night. Remember, guys, you can get free info from Dave every day on Twitter. It's at Dave underscore Essler, E-S-S-L-E-R. I'm going to give a quick thought here on Friday night's NBA action. Typically, when a team is down 0-3 in the NBA, you see about a three-point adjustment downgrading that team for game four because the theory is that game three was a must-win. If they lost that, the sense of winning the series becomes very small, the chance, the prospect, and it's demoralizing. And if it weren't psychologically the case, you wouldn't see the kind of line moves you typically do where – a team might be a two or three point dog at home, and then they're a five or six point dog at home in game four. Why? Because they've pretty much given up. And you might say, wait a minute, RJ, this is the finals. And no way they give up in the finals. Maybe. But let me let's consider. You think the Cavs think they're gonna win four straight? No. And if they win this one, they've got to fly all the way out back west all the prep around and likely a, a really demoralizing game at home for against the Warriors. So Warriors at home, Cleveland on the road doesn't mean, Oh, they're going to try to lose because they don't want to put the effort in to fly across the country. It means in those moments where maybe you can give up, maybe you do just a little bit earlier. I think there's one other big piece to this. LeBron is a big underdog right now to come back to Cleveland. What's the narrative that he wants that will make it easier for LeBron to leave? It's I can't win with this Cleveland team. Now what's going to help feed that narrative is if it gets swept. Doesn't mean again, he wants it, but what is he winning if he fights really, really hard to win one game and extend the series, it betrays that narrative. So again, not anyone's, no one's thrown games. That's not the implication. The question is how much are they going to fight and claw? I question how much Cleveland would fight and claw in this game. Doesn't mean I necessarily want to bet Golden State, though if I was forced to, I would. It's just I don't see any great value on Cleveland. Dave, thanks so much. And remember, Dave will be back next week, normal day. So we'll have our Wednesday dream preview with Dave, overrated, underrated, and free pick in baseball back next week. Talk to you then.